friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches thieves, just like flies. Look out, he's back, the Spider-Man. He's back! Yep. Yep. Well, and we're back, Tomb Believers. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. My name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And in case you haven't noticed, we're a bit excited Spider-Man's back in the MCU. Yep. Now... I, I don't want to say that I called it, but I kind of called it. I, I, I cried in a corner, so yeah, maybe you did. I just didn't notice it, but go ahead. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so um, in the couple of weeks or so since we last recorded, um, they uh, more Disney and Sony have at least temporarily patched things up and worked out an agreement so that Spider-Man will get at least a couple of more appearances in the MCU. Right. We're apparently getting a third uh, chapter in the Homecoming trilogy, or Spider-Man Home trilogy, whatever we want to call it. And we're getting one more MCU appearance. Now, a lot of people I've I've been seeing have been speculating that that is going to be an Avengers movie. But I've also seen speculation that he'll show up in the new Doctor Strange movie. Oh, interesting. Which, I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh, um, something multiverse. Uh, multiverse of Madness. Yeah, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm i okay with that. I, I'm okay with either of those, I guess. Um the speculation I'm hearing is that might be what leads to Spider-Man leaving the MCU. Mm. Some kind of multiverse madness thing. Okay. <laughs> um, also, apparently in Multiverse of Madness, I don't know if we talked about this, but apparently Scarlet Witch is going to play a major role. Yeah, which, I mean, when you've got the word multiverse and madness both in the title, and you've got a character with a long history of using her reality-altering abilities to not-so-great ends. Yeah, she has some mental health problems, and it's not promising for her that they have recently announced they're casting two infants for WandaVision. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not a good sign for her. Uh-huh. It would It would be kind of funny, though, if, like the multiverse of madness pulls this weird like dimensional do-si-do and as spider-man exits the mutants slide into place Ooh, like she goes back and alters Ooh, actually i can see that happening like she tries to save vision somehow Mm -hmm. and bad stuff happens yep so on a lighter note we're also getting rumors that Jennifer Walters, also known as the 
Savage She-Hulk may be appearing in the third Spider-Man movie. Yeah, now this is totally rumor. I mean, as far as we know, they they haven't really begun casting or anything like that. But but what what has been reported at least a few places is that uh, Peter Parker, given where the previous film ended, is going to be in need of some legal representation. Yep. And and mm-hmm. and there's only really two names that come to mind when you think of lawyers in New York in the Marvel Universe. And, of course, that's Matt Murdock and Jennifer Walters. Now, Matt right. Murdock is a little bit less likely because of the whole stipulation on the Netflix deal. Right, right. It, it, it all depends on when that runs out and how much pre-planning they're allowed to do before it is run out. Yeah. And also, I think there may be some worry that people are still very much attached to the previous versions. Because mm-hmm. the Netflix Daredevil series was very popular. Yeah. Well, and some of the some of the suggestions were that if they were to go that route, that they would consider Charlie Cox. Well, that'd be nice. Uh, seeing as he is still showing up at Save Daredevil events... Um, and, in fact, just like a week or so ago, uh, there was a big uh, event in New York on Broadway celebrating the life of Stan Lee, and he showed up basically dressed as Matt Murdock. Nice. You know, okay. So he's not, he, he is not given up. <laughs> I love it when actors love the characters they're playing. Like, let's talk about Tom Holland for a second. The rumor yeah. we've heard is that Tom Holland was extremely instrumental in getting Sony and Disney back to the table with each other. Yeah, that he personally sent messages to execs at both companies trying to, like, figure out a solution. Right. Which, honestly, I think cements him as the best Peter Parker. I'll say it. I mean, you don't see Andrew Garfield doing anything like that. No, you did not, considering he just put up a big middle finger to Sony. Yep. It's, like... Whether you like, whether you're in that, well, Spider-Man shouldn't be Tony Stark Jr. It's, it's, it, he's good of his own character or, you know, whatever. You got to admit that Tom Holland is kind of great. Oh, he's perfect. He's and perfect. And even so, like, if you look at where Spider-Man is now, there was like a whole year or two of the Dan Slott run where he legit was Tony Stark Jr. Yep. Now... That's not the only uh, live-action Marvel news we have, because we actually have a little bit of bigger news as pertaining to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we we talked last time about some of these uh, horror-themed Marvel shows that are being developed for Hulu. Um, And, of course, Ghost Rider has unfortunately been canceled. Which, the speculation is that Kevin Feige's like, uh, no, I want him for the movies. Yeah, supposedly, supposedly, the MCU has their eyes on the Midnight Suns. Which is fine. Apparently, and, and, Kevin... And especially with, with them already announcing a Blade movie, that totally makes sense. Which, I I, I kind of like that apparently Kevin Feige is a big Ghost Rider fan. Yeah. It's just, I, I know that the character will get a good shake. Exactly, exactly. Um, but, even though that show has been cancelled, Hellstrom is apparently still going full speed ahead. Yep. And they've even cast their Damien Hellstrom. Yeah. 
Do you have this pulled up? Um, yeah, it is uh, Tom Austin um, is playing uh, Damon Hellstrom. Um, and uh, I'm trying to figure out who this guy is because I am not familiar with him. Uh, okay, so uh, Tom Austin is an English actor. Um, he was on the UK version of Shameless. He was in uh, The Borgias. And I'm trying to see if there's anything else that I recognize. He was on The Royals. So it looks like mostly British television. Okay. A uh, little bit of film, but mostly British television. Um, and they've also cast um, Sidney Lemon, who's, on, who's formerly on Fear the Walking Dead, uh, as uh, Anna Hellstrom. Okay. Um, let's see. Elizabeth Marvel has been cast as Victoria Hellstrom, uh, their mother, um, who in this version is not dead, but, <clears throat> I'm going to quote here from the logline, plagued by demons both real and imagined, Victoria has been institutionalized for 20 years. While she struggles to be herself, she hopes to repair her relationship with her children. Nice. Um... And then we've also, there's also a bunch of other cast members, minor characters and things. Um, there's a character called Caretaker, who's a guardian of the of occult knowledge. Um, there's a psychologist character that keeps an eye on Victoria. Um, there's a character named Gabriella Rossetti, who seems like sort of a, a almost like a, a Catholic a Dana Scully. She's described as a woman balancing logic and faith. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't recognize any of these other characters. Yeah, I, I, I may know June Carroll from Mindhunter. Okay, and that she's playing the psychologist. Yeah, but the main reason I'm staying quiet is because I really have no idea who any of these people are. I don't watch... Yeah, well, and... But also, just in terms of, like, comic book characters, I am not familiar with any of these people that, that they are playing. I'm not sure if they are from later Hellstrom stories or not. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Walking Dead. I'm not familiar with, um, uh, any of these people, really. What I find interesting yeah. is they seem to still be going with this, he's the son of a famous serial killer. Thing. Right, and I'm wondering if that's going to be the cover story that everyone's always been told. Yeah, but I'm one because mm-hmm. because the since they're describing his mother as plagued by demons, both real and imagined. Yeah, but what I'm wondering is there's actually another show on the air this season that is extremely similar to that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's called Prodigal Son. Mm. Uh, it stars uh, Tom Payne. As Malcolm Bright and uh, Ainsley Whitley, as, sorry, Halston Sage, who was previously on The Orville. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure one of them, their parent, is a serial killer. Interesting. But it's interesting. So, so that has the same sort of serial killer angle going. Yeah, I think one of them, their father is a serial killer, so they're they're now driven to fight crime. Well, and and also there's uh, that show on CBS, Evil, that has former Marvel actor Mike Coulter in it, uh, 
which is about a former journalist studying to be a priest who teams up with a forensic psychologist to investigate and confirm reports of demons. Okay. It's it's going to be one of those shows that like probably has very little actual relationship to the Marvel source material. It's going to be like Lucifer where I could see that. You know, the base I, I, idea I, I do think that probably the season 1 like twist at the end is going to be revealing Hellstrom's father. Yes. Oh, it's all real. Right, right. Which okay, fine. I don't know. Which which will be a little unfortunate because that's basically what Titans did with Raven. Oh, is it? Like they they, they reveal uh what's his name, Trigon, in the, the season finale of season one. Okay. And then he takes his demonic form in the premiere of season two. Well, that's fun. Yeah. I really need to watch Titans. It seems they're doing interesting things. It's it's good. It's it takes a while to get going, and there's there's a fair amount of eye rolling in the early episodes because they're having to sort of establish how dark and gritty they are, you know. Oh, why do they have to be dark and gritty just to show they're not Teen Titans Go? Basically, basically, but once they sort of get that out of the way, it's fun, and honestly might have my favorite version of jason todd of anything interesting yeah i i wasn't aware it was possible of a favorite version of jason todd you know i i actually don't dislike jason todd as a character i mean you know i shouldn't dislike him as much as i do because it's not his fault that tim doesn't have a job anymore well tim's with young justice now yes as the Drake. Right. It's not a secret idea. It's not a secret code name if it's just your last name. Like, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am the Hickson. <laughs> James, is that you? No! I'm the Hickson. James, get off that ledge. Also, I don't know. Superhero... Wearing a domino mask with that much of a bird theme. I, I feel like uh, maybe uh, Barry Reese ought to be calling and complaining to someone at DC. <laughs> we should have Barry on the show sometime. That'd be fun. I think it would. Hey, Barry, want to be on the show? <laughs> we'll find something suitably pulpy to talk about. Yep. Anyway, speaking of things to talk about. Yeah, we, we've got some comics, I think. I think that I think that's what this show does, yeah. Is it? I thought we just talked about Spider-Man and and TV. And no, that was last episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, Oops. this episode, lovely listeners, we are going to be talking about Tales of the Zombie number two, a return to the magazine format we all love so very much, and of course, Strange Tales number one seventy, continuing the introduction of brother voodoo yeah um and so that that tales of the zombie mag um is gonna have uh at least looks like it's got maybe four stories to it yeah we've got four brand new stories in there um not counting reprints and also i think this time we'll probably spend a little more time than usual on some of the prose stuff because it's pretty interesting this time around right so it, 
Um, we have a great prose piece in there on Brother Voodoo. So this is a yeah. very Brother Voodoo-centric episode. Yeah. Almost like we planned it. Uh, that seems unlikely. <laughs> anyway, guys, we'll be right back after these brief messages from sponsors from decades ago. Spider Island. Eight beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival. With death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Horrors of Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. Prepare to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back! To Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson, and our first book today is Tales of the Zombie, Volume 1, Number 2. Cover date is October 1973. Editor-in-chief is Roy Thomas. And the cover artist is Boris Vallejo. Uh, the first story today is Voodoo Island, written by Steve Gerber, pencils by Pablo Marcos, inks by Pablo Marcos, and edited by Roy Thomas. Two grave robbers break into a New Orleans cemetery to steal a ring for their boss when they are suddenly interrupted by Simon Garth, the zombie. He dispatches the two thieves quickly but their mention of Haiti stirs memories of Garth's past as a coffee importer before being turned into one of the undead. And so the zombie resolves to return to the island, 
hoping that there his curse might finally be reversed. Meanwhile, the surviving grave robber returns to his boss, Mr. Six, who promptly kills the thief for his failure before musing that the master will be displeased. The zombie makes his way to the docks and stows away on a ship bound for Haiti. By coincidence, it is a ship formerly owned by Simon Garth, which is also taking his daughter, Donna, to investigate his mysterious disappearance. Upon arriving on the island, Donna goes to meet a friend of the family, who happens to be an expert in voodoo. The zombie, however, takes a less direct path, creeping through the shadows and alleyways of the city. Donna meets with her uncle, Anton, and explains what she knows of her father's disappearance. Unbeknownst to her, a stranger called Hackman, outside, has plans for her involving a secret experiment. Hackman goes to tell his boss, Professor Rickard, that he found a new subject. Rickard then reveals the purpose of his experiment, to transform women into mutant spider monsters for the master. Donna finishes describing the voodoo amulets somehow linked to her father's disappearance, when Anton which Anton recognizes as a device to control the undead. After she leaves, Anton muses about the implications of this with his servant, a candidate to become a voodoo priest, and is suddenly confronted by the zombie, who introduces himself as Simon Garth. So, yet again, the Simon Garth stuff starts out really strong yep it's it's a fun read it is it's it's got a really great look the the art is fantastic yeah uh, pablo marcos is definitely pulling his weight here yeah um like that just the opening splash is just wonderful like the look of the face it's very it's very bernie wrightson really yeah and, and now the the cover is also depicting that opening scene in the the graveyard, but I don't think it's actually as good as the splash. I think you're right. Also, for some reason, there's a scantily clad woman in the graveyard. I don't remember her in the story. No, she doesn't exist. No. In fact, she's very similarly garbed to the scantily clad woman on the cover to the Vampire Tales second issue. Yes. Yes. Uh, which, it'll be interesting to see if she actually shows up. Although, apparently we're getting Satana, the devil's daughter. Yes, yes. Which, you know, I'm I'm here for that. Any Anything to rescue us from the meandering adventures of Morbius. They weren't that bad. They weren't. They, well, they were a mixed bag. Yeah. So, um, the, just some things... Simon Garth gets a new ability here. Right. He can now speak. Yeah, yeah, this is a, a new thing. We weren't. It wasn't entirely clear how much of Simon Garth was still there yeah. in the last issue. So, but it looks like his memory, however fragmented, is coming back. Yes. Also, is it just me, or does this feel a lot like a, like a 1950s sci-fi film? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, or, or even 40s, 50s supernatural thriller you know like like all of the above they've they've all got this kind of atmosphere to them that, that just sort of takes over right you've got the mad scientist <coughs> hidden away on an island somewhere experimenting on the natives turning yep. them into giant monsters yep 
that that is what's happening. We we are we are turning ladies into spider monsters. I could easily see this as episode of MST three K. Yes, yes. Um and yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on the page where he injects the woman and she turns into a spider. And it's it's pretty great. It's pretty terrible too. <laughs> Oh, it's awful! It's awful, but it's it's funny. Yeah, it's terrible. She's doing to her to he's doing to her, but at the same time, it's like, oh, have a giant spider woman. Yep. Oh, first appearance of a famous Marvel character. Ha 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 Um, I mean, this is actually better than her original origins, so you know. True. True. Nobody has once mentioned high evolutionary or anything like that. God, I hate the high evolutionary. He shows yeah. up in a book and I check out. Yep, yep. Remember when Wolverine was going to be a Wolverine evolved into a man? Oh yeah, that was that was a bad idea too. Um, yeah, I mean it sort of cuts off in the middle, which makes sense because as with the other Tales of the Zombie issue we've looked at, Simon's story is going to weave through this whole magazine. But it's a good start. It is. It, this is a really great sort of first act to the magazine. Yeah, it's it's a good start. It may be interesting to see what happened next, but we've got some stuff to get through in between. Exactly. Um, and that takes us to our second story of the magazine. More a kind of just statement. True, true. Um, so first we have uh, the, the In Memoriam text piece. Yes. Um where they talk about the de- recent death of Simon Garth's creator, Bill Everett. Right. Um, right. And we had mentioned before that uh, he had taken ill. I think the, the, co- the comics even mentioned that he had taken ill. The previous issue, yeah. Right. Um, but it does sound like things took a very quick turn around the time that issue was printed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's 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 a sweet sort of tribute to um, the creator of Prince Namor. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's a sad passing. I think it is. they agree. Um, so it's a nice little text piece they have about him, and they and they end it with the line from Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner: "The sun came upon up upon the left, out of the sea came he." And he shone bright, and on the right went down into the sea. Yeah, and that, that's a that's a fitting tribute, given the character he was famous for in particular. Yeah, definitely. Then we've got a really interesting little story called Voodoo Unto Others. Right, Voodoo Unto Others, which is written by Tony Isabella, with pencils and inks by Wynn Mortimer, and edited, of course, by Roy Thomas. And this one is short and sweet. On a rubber plantation in Haiti, Raymond Gerard, the plantation owner's son, goes after a baseball that was knocked into the nearby jungle. Looking for his ball, he stumbles upon a voodoo ceremony involving his father's foreman, Raoul. When the practitioners try to silence the boy, he manages to get away, fleeing out into the streets, where he is struck by a drunk driver who flees the scene. In the hospital, it is diagnosed that the boy is paralyzed and will be unable to use his arms and legs. Raoul, expressing his concern for the boy, offers to help in ways the doctors cannot. 
With Raymond's father's permission, he casts a spell to heal the boy, transferring his injuries to the driver who hit him. You're right, it is a short, sweet little story, and it's it's very Twilight Zone sort of thing. It's, it's definitely perfectly in place with this sort of story. Uh, we do have the writer here being a young Tony Isabella. Yeah, yeah, which this would have been his very early days of Marvel. Um, so, uh, which, which Tony Isabella would go on to create Black Goliath for Marvel, he would create Black Lightning for DC... Um, but at this point in his career, um, he had started at Marvel a year earlier in 72 as an editorial assistant for Roy Thomas. Um, before that he had worked in sort of fanzines and fan writing, much like the path that, that Roy Thomas took. Yeah. Um, and, uh, very early in his time at Marvel, he was assigned to basically edit the reprints for Marvel UK. Okay. That was his real first sort of big job at Marvel. Was He was picking out and overseeing the reprints that would go in the Marvel UK magazine. Also, um, I think they updated some of the language in some of them. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And like some of the, maybe some of the cultural references. Yeah. And, 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 and that led into him also doing some editing on some of the black and white magazines and also led to his first writing assignments in the magazines. Okay. Uh, so if you look at his credits... They sort of start, as far as writing credits in Marvel, they sort of start around 73, and they're almost all either magazines or horror anthologies. Makes sense. It's where you start out. You don't, they, don't, right. they don't put you on Spider-Man right away. Uh, looks like he did have uh, at least one story in Captain America in 73, uh, but all the rest that I see are you know, Tales of the Zombie, Giant Side, uh, uh, Creatures on the Loose... Uh, Monsters Unleashed, stuff like that. Chamber of Chills. Okay. I mean, this story is nothing to write home about. It's a perfectly good story. Yeah. You, you like that the drunk driver gets his comeuppance and the little boy will not spend the rest of his life paralyzed. Right. And, and you know, the, the twist, you sort of see it coming, but but it works. Yeah. The art is... Not on the level of that Simon Garth story. No, but it's not horrible either. No, and it, it, stylistically, it sort of fits for a story about a kid. Yeah, it's got it's got simpler, cleaner lines. Uh, but but yeah, there, there's just it, it's it's fine. There's not much to it, but but it, it's it's fun. It, it's not. It does not take away from the magazine. Indeed. Uh, and after that, we've got a full-page ad for Satana, the Devil's Daughter. Yep. Pretty sure that's some Ramita artwork there? That, I, I would agree. That looks like Ramita to me. Uh, see her dramatic debut in Vampire Tales. Which, for us, will be the episode after next. Yep. After that, I think, is a reprint. Yep. That's a, It's a Stan Lee-George Tuska joint called Acid Test. Which, you know... I didn't read it, but I did look at a nice George Tusk artwork for a little bit. It, it, it you know, it, it's got that kind of fifties horror mag style, but but it's it's nice. Yeah. And then after that, we've got another Tony Isabella piece. This one's a prose piece, and it is all about the creation of Brother Voodoo. Yeah, which is especially uh, relevant for us. 
Yeah, we'll we'll be talking more about Brother Voodoo uh, once we finish up this magazine. But here we get a look sort of behind the curtain of the development of the character. And some of this we've heard before. Um, I think Roy told us a little bit that, that, that Brother Voodoo started out as an idea he had had when he was younger. Yeah. Um, started out as Dr. Voodoo, I think. And they actually meant him to be kind of like a return to the sort of supernatural stories we saw with the older Doctor Strange stories. Right. With, so the kind of two-fisted sorcerer. Yes, which it is very similar to that, I have to say. Yes, and, and but also that as they developed him at Marvel, the, there was a conscious decision to make him not Luke Cage. Yes. That if, that if Luke Cage was an urban character of the streets that this character would be the sort of erudite, uh, professorial character. Yes. And I find it interesting that apparently John Romita Jr. had a hand in designing his costume. Yeah. Some very early work from a guy who had become a giant in the field, much like his father. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great look. I really do like the, the Brother Voodoo outfit. Yes, it's definitely better than uh-huh. his '90s outfit, which I got got a look at the other day. Oh, really? It, he has a bone mask. <laughs> oh no. Yep. Uh, now, now his uh, more like mid two thousands outfit was pretty cool when he when he actually did become Doctor Voodoo for a while. Yeah, um, that look was pretty cool because uh, it, it sort of blends together the Brother Voodoo outfit with some of the. Uh, some of the accoutrement of Doctor Strange. That Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, we got some really good artwork from that. I remember some really excellent looking stuff from that era. Yeah, like he still has like the, the voodoo stuff, but then he also has the Cloak of Levitation and the Eye of Agamotto and all that. Yeah. It was a good look. But this, this early design is just great. I especially like it when he has the... I don't know if it's a cape or a cloak or what. Um, for some reason, that doesn't show up in a lot of this art, but but in, in the pages of the Brother Voodoo comic, he, he sometimes has it. Yes. Which, I like that. Um, it's it's interesting. I'll get more into it when we get to the Brother Voodoo issue. Because mm-hmm. I do have some criticisms. But let's move on to our next story. Sure. And our next story is Twin Burial. Written by Chuck Robinson, Pencils and Inks by Ralph Reese, and the editor is Roy Thomas. Della and Senta were twin sisters, until one day Senta died, choking on a bone in a meal meant for Della. At the funeral, Della blames herself for what has happened, despite consolation from Jeffrey. Unable to rest after the funeral, she takes some pills to help her relax. The morticians arrive to remove the body but they take the unconscious Della instead of Senta. Della wakes up, buried in her sister's grave, with only a screwdriver to try and break free. Jeffrey arrives at the house and is surprised to see who he thinks is Della sleeping in Senta's bed. Assuming that she must have taken some sleeping pills, he decides to let her rest. At the graveyard, two robbers begin digging up Senta's fresh grave and are shocked to discover Della still alive inside. Just in time, Jeffrey, having figured out what happened, arrives with the police to take her back home. Della is finally able to rest, 
but when she awakens, she is trapped in the coffin once again. How, how did she end up in the coffin again? I have no idea. That one did not make any sense to me. It 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 really didn't. I thought like maybe she was having flashbacks, or or maybe the rescue was like a hallucination or a delusion, like from lack of oxygen or something. I get that makes sense. Like she didn't really. Like, she passes out and dreams that she's rescued, and then she wakes up back in the coffin. It's the best I can do. This one didn't do much for me. No, the artwork's kind of nice. Yeah, it's good. It's Um, it's definitely a departure from our usual Marvel style of artwork. Right, um, right. It's the least connected to voodoo. Yeah. Or zombies. Yeah, there's not really any connection. This feels buried alive. Like the, the buried alive thing, I guess, is is a little bit of a connection, but that could just as easily be just sort of an Edgar Allan Poe style gothic horror trope. And this feels very similar to. Do you remember remember the Anibus? Um, oh goodness, what's the Amicus? Excuse me. Do you remember the Amicus anthologies like Tales from the Crypt and? Oh yeah. Asylum's one of my favorites. This feels very similar to one of those stories. It does. It really does. Um, and I, I may, may I float a suggestion? Go right ahead. That uh, that part of the reason for this story's inclusion is the shower scene on the last page. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, you're you're probably right. That is some of the most extreme nudity we've seen so far right i mean it's it's a butt it's a butt it with some like there, with the hand is, away, but she still is, she's fully covered but that that's there was a certain lack of that kind of of content up to this point and one of the things that these magazines are kind of sold on is that kind of content yeah but this is definitely not the thing we come to the magazine for no no it's it's, it is what it is it's it's not a great story it's not a bad story really it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense i will say when i first read this for the show i remember this story i did not remember voodoo onto others okay yeah well i mean it's kind of memorable in that you have to work to make the ending make sense yeah and the main thing i I remember is i remember the artwork and the expressions, which, again, is, is different from the usual Marvel story. It's not, like, a huge departure, but it's definitely different. It's like that... It is. It's like that bug story. Right. Yes. The, do you remember Very the similar, actually. It's, because it's, that's another one where we had to sort of unpack some things to figure out how they made sense. Yes. It's... Eh. It's there. Right. Not as good as the book um, story, but you know. Yeah, but but I, I agree. Similar vibe. Um, so, again, it is what it is. It's not especially memorable, but, but not terrible. No. And... Now, hmm? Did you read the story, um, Voodoo, What's It All About, Alfred? Uh, I skimmed it. Because I'll admit I did not read it. It's it's another Claremont piece, so we, we've, we've got the continuing sort of escapades of uh chris claremont prose writer at marvel magazines chris claremont boy editor (laughs) (laughs) 
editorial assistant rather right and and it's sort of this uh, sort of overview of the history of voodoo but it's written by, by like, chris claremont so it should be taken extremely tongue-in-cheek Sure, but but it played fairly straight, like beginning with its origins in the slave trade and, and the movement of people from Africa to the Caribbean. Okay. So he, he actually seems to have done some research on this. Well, that's good. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's It's got uh, lots of uh, sort of grisly photos and... and and artwork to spice up the the text yeah uh, but that's seems like it's pretty much it yeah no it's it's you can probably find a better history lesson on on voodoo elsewhere but it, it's it's well written well that's good at least. just just it's it's a marvel bag you know <laughs> you don't come of come to it for historical verisimilitude right Verici- right verisimilitude verisimilitude very there you go <laughs> truthiness look at, look at the big brain on trey <laughs> oh i'm sorry i just i, I could not remember a word or credit i can have trouble trouble speaking today dear boy and it's it's just not coming out correctly you understand <laughs> of course sure sure and this brings us to the third and and final uh no, not third. Fourth. Um, fourth. The fourth and final story of this magazine, Night of the Spider. Written by Steve Gerber. Pencils and inks by Pablo Marcos. Edited, as always, by Roy Thomas. In a cave several miles from his home, Dr. Anton Cartier hides the zombie Simon Garth from prying eyes. Against his better judgment, Anton agrees to help Simon break the curse. Back at the house, Hackman chloroforms and abducts the sleeping Donna Garth for use in Professor Rickard's gruesome experiments. Rickard injects her with the serum, and Donna transforms into a hideous spider thing. However, the delusional Rickard is unable to control his creation, and she easily kills him. Anton rushes home, but finds that Donna is missing, and he assumes that she's figured out that Simon is a zombie. However, Donna is in fact still a spider thing, stalking and eating victims near the jungle. Finally, the spider thing comes face to face with the zombie, and despite its monstrous appearance, Simon finds something familiar about the creature. As the spider thing attacks, the zombie doesn't resist, for he is unfazed by pain or injury. The monster uses every last ounce of its venom to no avail, and the zombie merely walks away. Exhausted, the spider thing transforms back into Donna, who luckily has almost no memory of what has transpired. Look out! Here comes the spider thing! (laughs) You know, I I wasn't expecting a new title called Spider Woman by Night, but... Um, <laughs> okay, sure, why not? I mean, it's... Yeah. It's, it's... I tell you, the, mm-hmm. the Garth family has some terrible luck. They really do. They they should all just stay far, far away from the Caribbean. They, they should move to, like, Wisconsin. Yes. Yes. 
I mean, although they're not really any worse off than, say, like the Russell family. This is true. This is true. Again, this feels like an old 1950s sci-fi thriller. It does. I mean, you, again, you've got the uh, the mad scientist obsessed with his creation, uh, overcome by delusions of grandeur. Um, also, some pretty unfortunate racism in his reasons for choosing Donna as a subject. Yeah, she's a white woman. Right, which they they do kind of try to smooth that over by saying, no, no, it's that it's that she's American, and Americans half their diet is chemicals and preservatives, so she will better be able to resist the drugs uh, that that would otherwise kill her. Sure thing, Doc. <laughs> so your your McDonald's lunch just saved your life, right? Right. It's just. <laughs> um, I will say the uh, the the panel where. The spider thing kills the the mad scientist guy, or actually no, where where it kills. I guess that's Hackman. Uh. Bottom bottom of sixty six. Yeah, that's Hackman. Yeah, that's a great panel. Yeah, it is. It's where a it's good like, panel. Where it's like strangling him with the web. Yep. You don't see that in Spider Man. No, no. Unless you're Gwen Stacy. Oh. Oh, snap. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> True, this, this, this is a recent incident for her, isn't it? It is. Oh, I'm a horrible human being. Yep. Yep. Oh. I do like that the zombie is able to win through just standing there. Yeah. It's my usual fighting technique. <laughs> Like, like, like he does not recognize the attack as an attack. He's just kind of there. Yeah. I, I, I am, sh- I am, again, I'm shocked that Donna got transformed into a spider here. And yeah. I'm relieved that, you know, she, she doesn't stay a spider because she had some interesting stuff going on with her, so. Right. Yeah. I, I, I do hope that they pick up this thread of her and Anton trying to save simon from the curse that'll be interesting now are they trying to bring him back to life or are they just trying to release him from the zombie curse i have a feel i think they're trying to like let him rest okay that makes sense i don't think there's any bring him back no but that'll be interesting to see how it develops yeah uh, like um, i said but like, this like mm-hmm this fight between the zombie and the spider such that it is like i say the zombie is passive throughout but it reminds me a lot of some of the early man thing stuff oh yeah yeah and and we're getting very similar vibes to man thing with the simon gar stories you know involving the swamp i wouldn't be surprised to see some occurrences of voodoo and man thing Um, right and i'm wondering if that's why well they're both steve gerber Yes. But I'm wondering if that's maybe why Simon Garth doesn't really last that long. Because, uh, I mean, you've already got a silent, lumbering, shambling, basically undead creature with partial memories of a past life. Yeah, exactly. Only difference seems to be that occasionally Simon Garth speaks. Yeah. And really, as much as I'm enjoying the Simon Garth stories... Uh, Man-Thing is definitely a more dynamic visual. Right, and so far, and 
he's had more stories at this point, but so far has the more interesting supporting cast. True. Not, not to say ill of Donna, and I'm liking Uncle Anton. Right. I, 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 especially if we keep it going with the dynamic of one of them knowing the secret and the other not. Mm. Like, I, 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 I think there's some... In, you could probably get another story or two out of that. Okay. But I can see why Simon Garth doesn't make the transition from magazine to comic. Yeah, yeah. There's not really a need for him to do so. Certainly not in a starring role, at least. He's going to make some appearances in other people's comics. And and that, that basically, I think, wraps up Tales of the Zombie. Uh, all in all, a strong second showing, especially the Simon Garth story. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to more Simon Garth. And I he's been consistently good over these two issues, and I want to see more of that character in his cast. Right, and, and, and I, I still think that structurally the the tales of the zombie approach to magazine uh narrative is a cool way to go to to take to basically tell one long form story featuring your title character and weave it through the magazine and break it up with with bits of other stories yeah i definitely think this is the strongest of the horror mags so far right the dracula lives kind of does this too but Dracula Lives jumps around in time because it can, because he's existed as a character for so long. And also, they do kind of drop stuff in that's kind of unrelated to the main story, as long as that Dracula in it. Like that Solomon Cain story, it was a great right. story, but it right. didn't have much to do with the rest of the overarching story in there. No, except just an opportunity to see Dracula in a different century, interacting with a different kind of character. Yeah. Whereas Tales of the Zombie looks like it's just going to go chronologically, as opposed to jumping through time. Which I'm fine with. Yeah, no, it works. Like I say, I think it's a very strong way of of binding the magazine together. Uh, but that said, I think, I don't know that I have a whole lot else to say about this one, other than I liked it. it it's a good issue. It's It's got me excited to see more of what's in store for Simon Garth. Definitely. I, I, I want to see more of what this character in this cast because once donna does realize what's happened to her father it's gonna be pretty terrible for her yeah yeah that that's not gonna be a good time no anyway we're gonna go to a quick message and we'll be back with strange tales number 170 baptism of fire blood is red voodoo is blue. Sugar is sweet. Revenge is sweeter. I'm passing seconds. Meet Sugar Hill. No, please. Not a place, but a brand new face. My friends call me Sugar. The foxiest. Looking for anything special? Sexiest. Deadliest chicken town. The mob took Sugar's man away. And now, she's gonna make them pay. I want them dead. With a voodoo priestess called Mama Matrace. I know what you can do. The power you possess. How strong is your hate? 
and Baron Samdi, too. My particular special, a drink that I'm famous for. The zombie. This is my domain, a kingdom of the dead. And an army of undead behind her. Each death has had something to do with voodoo ritual. There's nothing that sugar can't do. Use it. The mob has never seen anything like Sugar Hill and her zombie hitmen. This October, the Cinebonks Podcast Group invites you to our annual celebration of all things spooky. Cinnawin. From October 1st to October 31st, Cinnabox.com is your home for having scares and fall phobias. New writing, special podcast episodes, Patreon-exclusive content, all to make you feel seasonally creepy. <laughs> Welcome back to Unbelievers of the Tomb of Ideas. My name is James Hickson, and we are finishing up our episode this week with a look at Strange Tales number 170. Publication on this one is October 1973. Story title is Baptism of Fire. Writer is Lynn Ween. Penciler is Gene Colon. Inker is Dan Adkins. Colorist is Glynis Ween. Letterer is Charlotte Jeter. Editor is Roy Thomas. Continued from last issue. Finishing his training, Jericho Drum needs to pass one final test in order to take over the role of Brother Voodoo, a title held until then by his murdered brother Daniel. The final ceremony ends with Daniel's soul merging with Jericho's, as well as the mark of Voodoo appearing on Jericho's forehead and a white streak appearing in his hair. With his purpose in life over, Papa Jumbo passes away, telling Jericho that he is now worthy of the title brother voodoo. Jericho then goes after Dimbala, who is responsible for murdering his brother. Dimbala, meanwhile, has gathered the Council of the Voodoo, a group of international voodoo practitioners, to take control of the organization. However, brother voodoo arrives and challenges Dimbala to a, to a rematch. During their fight, brother voodoo realizes that Dimbala has control over snakes due to a mysterious amulet that he has in his possession. Sending the soul of his brother Daniel into one of the council members, he manages to remove the amulet from Dimbala's grasp. With his control over the snakes gone, they turn on him, and he is killed. With the amulet in his possession, he's confronted by a man named Bambu, who tells him that he is the faithful servant of whoever owns the amulet. Accepting the man as his aide, Brother Voodoo departs, telling his new servant that they have much work to do. So I guess he can control snakes now? Um, if he keeps that amulet, I guess. Ew. I don't like snakes. Huh. Why'd it have to be snakes? <laughs> exactly. Um, so this cover is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a good cover. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I like this cover or the Brother Voodoo cover more for this episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. But it it's, a, it's a very me, cool. It's a very cool dynamic cover. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the first 
cover when when Snake Dance is introduced in Ghost Rider. Yeah. And Ghost Rider is fighting snakes wrapped around his arms. Yes. Um, yes. Dumbala is maybe a slightly more interesting villain than Snake Dance. Slightly more. <clears throat> He's still basically just an excuse to let Brother Voodoo show off his powers. but Yeah, his poorly defined powers. We're getting there. We're getting there. Doctor Strange's powers were pretty poorly defined at first, too. And that actually leads into my criticism of this issue that I mentioned earlier. His story here is extremely similar to the early Doctor Strange stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Papa Jumbo is essentially a cutout for the Ancient One. Yes. And, I mean, I know they want... Their intention was to kind of have the stories after the mold of the old Steve Ditko, Stanley, Doctor Strange stuff, but right. it's a little bit too much on the nose here. <clears throat> a little bit, a little bit. Now, I do like some of the visuals we get here, especially the uh, the ritual dance that he does in order to summon his brother's spirit. Just visually, I think that's done really well. Yeah. Uh, there's a really great panel at the bottom of page six. Where it's like all a montage within the one panel. You've got the drums, you've got him dancing, and then you've got the silhouette at the bottom. Yes. And that's when. And then the next page is where the panels all go weird directions and angles and stuff. It, it definitely implies some chaos to it. Yeah, which, yeah. This is good work from Gene Colan here. It is. He he does a good job of capturing the the weird supernatural side of things and it feels like he's getting an opportunity to kind of kind of cut loose that he doesn't have on tomb of dracula for sure yeah well and it's partly with with something like dracula there are certain expectations and style and tone and and what the character is and how he moves and all that whereas here it seems like it pretty much whatever whatever colon wants to do goes true like the because because his powers have not been defined yet because what he does as a character hasn't been defined yet he has far more flexibility in how to to show that visually and looking back at the issue i do like it more than i did in my first reading just because gene colin seems to be having just a ton of fun while drawing this and a lot of the layout is really good too like just the the, the way that the the caption panels contrast with yeah other like the artwork and like the way that, that those colors pop and it's a weird thing to appreciate i know but i do appreciate it like there's a part on yeah. page 9 after everything's over this is a pretty standard panel layout but for some reason like, all the things contrasting with each other, they just really pop. Yeah. Like, the you've got the, the smoke coming off his forehead from the Brother Voodoo symbol, and you've got the, uh, the one-caption circle that's orange, and the other-caption box that's yellow. Yeah. And everything else is just sort of monochrome. Yes. But then colors come in later into thing, and, like, the, 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 the rain is pouring still... It's good yep. stuff. Very, very atmospheric. And doesn't fall into the trap of 
just depicting every scene in Haiti as the same sort of generic jungle. True. Like, that's that's the thing, is you get sort of a, a distinct visual look for that training ground as a, a distinct place from where the fight happens at the end of the comic. <laughs> yes. I would agree. And And also, you do get a little bit of what we mentioned in the the prose piece about Brother Voodoo, the idea of him being a kind of two-fisted sorcerer. Uh, the, the fight between him and and that council that that uh, the villain summons gets pretty physical. I actually get a James Bond vibe from it. Yes, absolutely. Very somewhere between the Spectre-era Connery stuff and Live and Let Die. Well, is it, it's worth noting that Live and Let Die comes out this year. Right, right. So there are a lot of similarities between... I I also just cannot help but laugh a little bit at uh, the... Uh, this is the middle of page 18. Like, the one, like, lady that's trying to hit him over the head with a boulder. I hit him with a rock! <laughs> Like, these are all supposed to be, like, voodoo practitioners and sorcerers and such, and they're coming at him with knives and rocks. It was a big rock. It, it was a big rock. That's a... But yeah, Brother Voodoo's smashing heads together and all kinds of stuff. Even even his primary ability that he shows off here, which is to send out his brother's spirit to possess people, is a weirdly physical ability. Yeah, like, you know? the, 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 the pose he does... Yeah. When he's when his brother is casting out. Yeah. It, it's it's very dramatic. And I I do kind of like the fact that when we see later depictions of brother Voodoo, his the depiction of his brother stays the same. Yes. But yes. brother Voodoo himself changes. Right. Even as he ages and changes his look and all that, uh his brother always sort of has that same uh, sort of blue outline spirit look. Now, there's a character from Golden Age DC who I can't remember his name right now, but his power was that he could summon the spirit of his brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Is it like Dan Dare or something? or? Well, there was uh, there was Captain Triumph. That's it. Uh, he had like a, a T-shaped birthmark on his wrist, and it was something like when he when he touched the the birthmark, he could uh, transform into Captain Triumph. But it was all it was through merging with the ghost of his dead brother. Yes, there it is. And you know, Roy Thomas knew about that. It's a Golden Age character, of course he did. So I I feel like that's where Roy Thomas is getting the inspiration for the superhero who gains his power from his dead brother. Even even the V brand on his forehead is a lot like the T birthmark on his wrist, you know? You're right. Now, that said, there are differences. They're, they're in terms of, like, the, the voodoo background and, and where the character is going to go. But in premise, and also in terms of abilities, because Captain Triumph was very much a sort of Superman stand-in. He could fly, he was nearly invincible, he had super strength, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, 
He's not a straight clone. Right. But there are, there are similarities. Um, no relation, however, to the later DC character just called Triumph. No. Wasn't he the um, proto-Sentry? Yeah, he was sort of DC's Sentry before there was a Sentry. Um, he was supposed to be a Golden Age character who was forgotten. God, I hate Or Silver, Silver Age character who was forgotten, something like that. It, it doesn't matter. It's a dumb idea, and I don't like it. But... Anyway, so, yeah, the Captain Triumph Golden Age character, similar in, in concept to what we're getting here with the early Brother Voodoo stuff. <clears throat> but I think this is a good second part to the origin. Like, it, it does what an origin for this kind of character is supposed to do. Yes. It sets like everything we, up. Yeah, we've got a sense of his motivations, we've got a, a taste of his powers without giving too much away, and... We, we get sort of a strong finish where he beats up the bad guys. I would like to get a little bit clearer definition of what his powers are. but Sure. I, I understand his powers better than I do Ghost Rider's. Well, that's true. His powers do make more sense than Ghost Rider. Like, in fact, <clears throat> this is a better origin story than Ghost Rider. Oh, definitely. Like, if there had been two uh, two issues to kind of tell us what the heck was going on with Ghost Rider... That would have been better. Yeah, well, we kind of got, like, we got those issues where he sells his soul and and the girlfriend steps in and all that, but it was just, it was all so, so muddled, you know? Yeah. Like, motivations never quite made sense, whereas here, I totally get everyone's motivation. It's... Uh, honestly, I don't see why Brother Voodoo gets as much crap as he gets. <clears throat> well, in part... Uh, because for a while there were those jokey comic strips that made him look silly, partly because whoever was writing them had mixed him up with the DC character Brother Power. Himbeck. Oh yeah, Himbeck. Yeah, Himbeck did the really goofy Brother Voodoo stuff because he mistook Brother Voodoo for Brother Power the Geek. You're right. I remember that now. Well, crap. I mean, and and he just went through a phase where he didn't have a title. You know, he'd true. show up occasionally. He'd show up occasionally in Doctor Strange or Defenders or whatever, but he didn't have a home book to to really be featured in. True, and I do kind of w worry about how limited an idea like a voodoo superhero might be. Mm. I'm worried about how many stories you can tell. With this character, I mean, are we going to stay in Haiti, or are we going to go to New York? It, it'll be interesting right. to see. And, and especially at this point in the Marvel Universe, when the horror comics have not fully joined the Marvel Universe yet. True. Are we going to get like, a Spider-Man team like, up with Brother Voodoo? That would be cool. I think so would be. Or or even a, uh, a two-in-one. Wait, we do get a two-in-one with Brother Voodoo. <laughs> I've read that issue. Yeah. They go... Oh. Oh. They go to Africa. Oh, no. And they fight an actual dictator. Oh. Like a real-life African dictator. I can't remember which one right now, but... A real dude. That's, that's unfortunate. Oh. It's okay. That's like... Hundreds of episodes down the line. <laughs> we we will not get there for a very, very long time.
I like that you're optimistic we'll get there. <laughs> anyway. I, I think that sort of wraps it up. I, I like this issue. I think uh, we're off to a good start with Brother Voodoo, regardless of where we apparently end up. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where he kind of loses his way. Because we know that... Yeah. And that's kind of like what we're going to see with a lot of these verse, where we're waiting to see where something like, say, Werewolf by Night loses its way. We're waiting to see where Brother Voodoo loses its way. And at the same time, we're kind of waiting to see, well, where does Ghost Rider start getting good? Right, right. And especially with Brother Voodoo, though, I think part of the problem that we might run into is I can already sort of imagine the conversations in the bullpen being, you know, well, why would I put Brother Voodoo in this story when I could put Doctor Strange? Exactly, right? Like, Doctor Strange has pedigree at this point. Right, he's been around a while. Which is not to say that Brother Voodoo does not become a cool character, because I would argue he does, but I think he suffers from that early similarity. He does, I think. Where I think the only reason he'd show up was, say, like, tutorial mandate. Right, if Doctor Strange is not available because he's doing something in the Defenders that month or whatever. Yeah, we really do have to start talking about Defenders at some point. It's a good book. Well, we get a lot of our characters crossing over into it. We, we do. We do. And also Moon Knight's in there for a little bit. Of course he is. Because <laughs> he's freaking everywhere. Right? Including that, that new uh, Conan event that Marvel's going to publish soon. Yes, because who's the best character to put in here? What about Moon Knight? Okay! It's Moon Knight, Conan, and Solomon are they going to talk about Dracula? Because both Solomon Kane and Moon Knight have fought Dracula. Well, actually, has Moon Knight fought Dracula? He owes him his goddamn money. I don't know. I, I hope... I, I was about to say, I wonder if Solomon Kane will be able to tell Moon Knight where Dracula is. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, the meme that keeps on giving. It really does. Anyway, Tomb Believers, if you want to be able to find us, you can always do so... At our Facebook group, facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas, our Twitter page, at Tomb of Ideas, or of course, you can always email us at tombofideas at gmail.com. And as always, Tomb of Ideas is a proud member of the Cinepunks podcast group, which is currently going for an event right now. Isn't that right, Trey? That's right. We are right in the middle of our Cineween celebration. It is taking up the entire month of October. Every single day there is brand new Halloween-related content on Cinepunks.com. Uh, you can also uh, look to see maybe some things showing up from uh, two of your favorite podcast hosts. Uh, no, there are actually, I think, like three podcast hosts on Flight Stuff. Oh, dang. You're right. Yeah, but... I haven't been reading everything that's been coming out because, you know, life gets in the way. But there are some really good, like, video promos coming out of this that are just, yes. like, insanely yeah, they're, good. They're... Yes, this year, they've, uh, Cinepunks has gone all out as far as uh, getting people's attention about uh, the Halloween season. And there's some great video, there's some great audio. Uh, definitely go to the website and read the text pieces because they are phenomenal. And approach, it's not just your average 
top 20 horror movies listicles that everyone does Halloween. These are some deep dives into Halloween-related topics, movies, theme parks, books, interviews, all kinds of stuff. It, it's a really, uh, really great event, and, and there's lots of content for pretty much any interest. Anybody who loves a little bit of spooky in their life. And really, if you're listening to this podcast, you should. That's right. Uh, and in addition to Cineween, uh, we will be back next time uh, with more comics. Uh, our next episode will feature Fear, number 17, Frankenstein, number 6, and Werewolf by Night. That's right. So, until we come back to you with that Man-Thing, Frankenstein, Jack Russell combo, we'll see you next time, Two Believers. Bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tombers, Excelsior! <laughs>